I'm LZ Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. Growing up, I was somewhat of a theater kid in high school. Theater, dance, and music. I was actually good enough to earn a scholarship to college, and I was even cast in a couple of movies in a short-lived TV show before turning my attention to journalism. Every now and then, I do think about those good old days, though. How much fun they were, the celebrities I met, the what-ifs. The first big role I landed in high school was that of Osgood Fielding Jr. in the musical Sugar. Osgood had a thing for Daphne, which was a problem because Daphne was actually a guy named Joe who dressed in drag to hide from the mob. It was all very bosom buddy-ish. My first gay character was Jason from A Quiet End, which was a play about the AIDS crisis. Jason was HIV negative, but his ex-boyfriend Max was positive. At the end of Act 1, the two kiss. I still remember the murmur each night when that happened. One night, someone actually yelled out, LZ, no! Of course, I was in the closet at the time, and little did that person know that kiss was my favorite part in the whole play. The first time I played a trans character was Miss Raj from George C. Wolfe's play, The Colored Museum. It was also the last time I played a trans character. Something about Miss Raj just made me uncomfortable. I later realized it wasn't Miss Raj that made me uncomfortable. It was the internalized homophobia and transphobia that Miss Raj was working on that made me uncomfortable. I shared this story with the incredibly talented MJ Rodriguez. She plays Blanca Evangelista in Pose. In episode one of Life Out Loud, we spoke with the show's co-creator, Stephen Canals. If you missed it, please check it out. It's definitely worth your time. His show made history by casting five transgender actresses in leading roles, including MJ, You know, it took six months to find the perfect Blanca, but let's just say I think he was time well spent because MJ is absolutely amazing as Blanca, and her work in the final season is some of the best you'll see anywhere on television. I'm at peace knowing my baby girl is marrying my baby boy, Poppy. Sorry, I don't know how much this means to me to see that my children found each other. To my beautiful daughter, Angel Evangelista, the most stunning bride there will ever be. As this groundbreaking show comes to an end, I've seen the finale and I gotta tell you, it's so heartwarming and satisfying. That's why it was so important to me to talk to MJ. I wanted to know more about how she felt about her iconic role, especially since she grew up in the ballroom scene herself. For those of you who don't know what ballroom is, just think of the video from Madonna's Vogue, minus all the commercialism and widespread acceptance. Ballroom is more than just dancing and posing, by the way. It's a safe space for queer people, especially young queers of color who are oftentimes forced to leave their homes for being who they are. Ballroom is where they go to find safety. It's where they go to find their family of choice. And it's where MJ got her start. I just want to say congratulations. Thank you. On, you know, an an amazing ride, an incredible character to bring to life. And, you know, perhaps even more importantly, a legacy that, you know, will live on long after we're all gone. You know, just all Mm -hmm. the good that you and your fellow castmates and the creator of of Pose, you know, has done. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God, that was beautiful. I don't, I don't even know if I deserved all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you did. Absolutely. So we, we start every conversation of Life Out Loud 
um, with this question. And mm -hmm. for you, it is this. Mm -hmm. When was the first time you became aware of something other than cisgender? Um, when I was about 14 years old, when I was 14 years old, that was when I was like first introduced into a lot of things, introduced to the world of New York City, introduced to the world of ballroom, introduced to the world of theater, acting, everything. I got to see a lot of people who were other than what the social, like I saw other than the social norm, AKA cisgender. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought up starting in ballroom, like at 14. Because when I saw that, I was like, okay, how does that happen? <laughs> it all happened so quickly. I mean, it started in my high school. My, um, my house father at the time, he saw me walking this fashion show that he would always have at our high school. And we just constantly had them throughout the years, every year. And um, I finally had gained the confidence to just walk the fashion show. And... I remember him seeing me and then going backstage and then hearing him point while he was pointing to me, that's my daughter. And at that point he hadn't even like deemed me his house child yet. It was just, he said that cause he lived for the walk and I was like, work Timothy. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> then the rest was history. As soon as I started getting just absorbed in the beauty and like the, the colorful and just fabulous life, I just, I gravitated towards it and I just went down that beautiful rabbit hole and I loved it. I loved the ballroom scene and I got to see a lot of individuals that were just like me, even though I hadn't taken the medical, you know, step or anything else that, you know, encompasses being a woman of the trans experience. Um, I still saw myself in these women. And I guess I can say that was the first time I saw what I what's going to grow into what I what I look like who I was and what it would be like blossoming into you know a beautiful flower I had to bud at some point you know and I think that was where I was at when I was 14 but now it's just a total different story but yeah that's how it all happened and like a crash course so you're you you do the walk in this fashion show you're 14 years old you're getting all this love your house father is just you know over the moon he's called you his daughter um was that when you knew that performing was what you wanted to do with your life? Well, believe it or not, I had already had a life in performing before the ballroom scene had even been introduced to me. Um, I was 11 years old, just seeking out my dream to become an actress and a singer at the very same time. Um, that is exactly when I determined like, oh, okay, so the arts is what I'm gonna work through to change the narrative um, and hopefully down the line when people see me blossom into this young woman, this, this um, striving actress, they'll see that it's possible. Like didn't all come to me because I didn't have the language. I didn't have the vernacular at that time. I just knew what it looked like in my head. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'll tell you one thing to see where it's at and where, I, where, where I've come. Um, it's a blessing. That is absolutely amazing. Now, I, I will tell you, so as I'm watching the show, um, and Jose Extravaganza comes across the screen, I totally yep. freak out. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. let me tell you something. The icon. 18-year-old LZ. Uh-huh. 
loved him uh-huh. some 18 year old Jose Extravaganza. Because Jose is a good looking man, honey. <laughs> Baby, let me tell you something. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, you know, that was my experience. Mm-hmm. Was there anyone on the set, either in front of the camera or behind the camera, that you had that same sort of response to when you had an opportunity to meet them and work with them? Yes, um, I will say this. There were a couple of people. Um, I have been seeing Janet Mock on television for a long time. You know, she was one of the pioneers like Laverne Cox, you know, and at the time she was surfacing and becoming this huge success. I was still this young, budding, you know, little flower. And I was just like, oh my God, work girl work um (laughs) and also when i was on set though more than anything in the ballroom scene specifically was this woman named sanaya ebony she's renowned in the ballroom scene she's an amazing amazing voguer and just to see her centered and to see her in a space of television finally getting her just due whether it be having some lines on the screen or whether her be sitting up on the judges panel because i feel like that's exactly where she deserves to be that's the throne that she needs to be sitting on and that she has held for a long time, just working with her. I was just, I was starstruck by her. She was like, girl, you starstruck by me? What you mean? I'm like, oh girl, you just don't know how much of an impact you've had in the ballroom scene. And just seeing her in person was just, whew, changed my whole life. Like in getting to actually have the confidence to talk, confidence to talk to her, life changing. What was the name of the house you were part of? Jordan, the house of Jordan. And it was such a beautiful, like, it was a beautiful house. I just, it's funny because the angels and the Damons and the Rickies, like, I, I saw them in this house. The names you just mentioned are other characters of children that you can see in Pose. Yeah, they were, these are the characters of Pose, but I could see them in the children that were a part of this house that I was um, partaking in. And I just miss them, you know, and we do keep in contact whenever we can keep in contact. But um, all of us have gone on with our lives and are doing beautiful things. And I just love that he brought us together in that moment in our life, because if I didn't have that, then I don't think I would have ever really dived into the ballroom scene afterwards, like how I did now. How much of your house father is reflected in Blanca and how much of your house father is reflected in you, MJ? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, my house father is, believe it or not, this is no disrespect to him, and I think he would totally understand that, but there's not that much of any reflection of my house father and Blanca, but I think more so than anything, there's a lot of refre- reflection of my mother, my my biological mother. Um, I had her in my life. I had my dad in my life. And, you know, even though there are a lot of individuals out there who don't have that. I I do pride myself by having them in my life and being able to really pull from my mother um, for this show. Wait, they were in your life while you were part of the House of Jordan? The ballroom scene. And the ballroom scene. Yes, they were. That is very different than what you see on television and Pose and the stories that we have been told about the ballroom scene. I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, But yeah, and I... I, I speak about it as often as I can, but I'm, I'm glad I can speak about it now. It definitely shows, and believe it or not, to the house father that was, a, that was the house father of Jordan, he also was in contact with a lot of the other children's parents, too, and knew them from, you know, as children. So, and I think that's 
what just Newark, New Jersey gives, the environment of Newark, New Jersey gives, you know, everybody's mama, everybody's cousin, brother, sister, you know, so. Um, <laughs> everybody's business. Yeah, well, yeah, possibly that too, you know, <laughs> that circulates. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, for the most part, even though he had never met my mom, um, she was the leading force of all of that. She was also someone who was up involved in the scene. She wasn't a part of the scene, but she was involved in the scene because she had a lot of friends who were of the LGBTQAI community. One of her best friends who, you know, who, God rest his soul, uh, passed away from the virus. But yeah, my mother had a lot of contribution to this character of Blanca more than I would say my house father. And I'm actually appreciative of that. And I think he would be appreciative of that too. He's met her. <laughs> so which parts of Blanca are just straight up your mama? Oh, um. Because Blanca doesn't take any mess. She does not take no mess at all. Um, going into the school and talking to the teacher. We've accepted our fall class. We are full. No, but he is special. Let him dance for you. Give him a chance. Give him three minutes of your time. When was the last time you were truly surprised by something in your life? That is definitely my mama for sure. Um, <laughs> she knew, I, even though I would be probably cutting up in class, she knew that there was so much more potential in this little girl that is a ball of energy and she would vouch for me. And I mean, yeah, I would go home and she would, you know, curse me out. Like, don't, don't ever do this again, girl. You got to make sure you show up or, you know, and show out, but don't do it too much. But, um, for the most part, I think that Blanca, uh, as far as my mother goes, it was definitely the showing up and being present for her child and, making sure that she vouched for her child and also knowing that when her child was wrong, she held that kid accountable. Like, you know, this is what happens when you do this wrong, but also this is what happens when you fight for it. I would say she's like 60%, if, if not 70% of the whole show. She's, she's, I've contributed a lot of my mother to the character of Blanca. And it's really beautiful to hear. It's, it's almost like a, a tribute to her. It is. It is. My mom always dreamed of wanting to be, you know, in the place that I was, that, that I'm in now. She's always wanted to be a singer and, you know, achieve. And she would always tell me, you know, I wanted to do what you, what you're doing, girl. And I, I always wanted to have the confidence to get out there. And I guess that's what held me back. But she's like, I'm so glad I taught you not to be afraid. And I'm so glad that you actually are out here showing the world and changing the world. And I was like, really, mommy? You know, and she doesn't really, she keeps it together for me so she can keep me on solid ground and keep my head out of the clouds, which I don't think they will ever go there. But, you know, she keeps me centered. And sometimes she holds off on giving me accolades to to um, to center me. And I appreciate that. And when, it, and when I hear it from her every blue moon, it's appreciative because um, it's, it, it means a lot and it shows it shows how much she truly loves me and how she really wants her daughter to succeed. What, what did she say to you when you thought about quitting right before you got Pose? Oh, uh, I remember it was a very, like it was, there were no tears, but it was very emotional. I remember going into her room and just telling her, mommy, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do it. I can't. I'm getting too many no's. Nothing's happening for me. People are saying I'm too specific. They're saying that I'm not going to, you know, how are you going to work if you're trans? And do you think they'll accept you as that? 
And I remember telling her all of this, just pouring out my insecurities to her. And she was like, no, no, something is going to happen. And she was like, I just feel it. Something's coming right around the corner. She was right. She was right. So she uplifted me and she told me to just keep, keep the hope alive, child. And I've kept that hope alive and it happened quicker than I ever expected. It sounds as if, in addition to being, you know, your rock, that when you started the transition, she was very supportive of every step of the way. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what it sounds like. She was. I mean, we've had our bumps in the road, but... What were those bumps like? The bumps were not that big, believe it or not. They weren't anything that deterred me. They weren't anything that made me want to run. You know, she never beat me because of my transness. She never steered me away because of my transness. Instead, she asked questions and instead she let me have the conversation with her because she was a parent who dealt with LGBTQAI members back in the day. She knew trans women back in the day, you know, so um, she had the wondering and she asked the questions, but that was pretty much it. She just she she learned from me i would say i was also the one i would give myself a pat on the back and saying i was the one to push through with love and be like you know i'm not going anywhere either even if you feel this way i'm not going anywhere either because i love you and we're going to get through this together you're going to understand that you've lost nothing instead you've gained something and the world is going to be totally different in a much better place once people understand especially for me and me feeling comfortable in it um, and she understood that. And the next thing that came after her understanding was protection. And she wasn't letting nobody say nothing about <laughs> me. And I was like, okay, so this is what, this is what happens when mommy and daughter don't play no game. <laughs> so it's beautiful. Did our community support you as much as your mother's? Oh, mm -hmm. no. My mama was always the one that always loved me. And um, I guess that that could possibly be a rare case. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's very rare for a lot of LGBTQ AI members, but my mother loved me unconditionally. You know, she wasn't going to let nobody get in the way. Because I think most importantly, what me and my mother, you know, inhabit together is that every person has their way every human has their way and how they speak how they talk how they approach you how they think you can't put all of your eggs in one basket thinking that there's one part of the community that's going to constantly like be there for you there's going to be people even within certain communities whether it be my afro-latina community whether it be my lgbtqai community or whether it be the hetero community it's going to be always someone who's going to try to like put you down so um that's what my mother instilled in me. Now, she also instilled that there's strength in one than the other because they know what a fight is like. So that's why I geared towards the LGBTQAI community, because not only am I a part of it, but I know also the struggles that we've gone through and I've experienced that. But yeah, um, yeah, my mama definitely loved me even more. And I'm not afraid to say that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not afraid of that, you know, and I'm actually very appreciative of it. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. So on my arm, my right arm, I'm building a sleeve of nothing but song lyrics, um, words that have inspired me, that have kept me focused, um, kept me sane. And I'm looking right now. And the first words that I see, and I think this was actually the first tattoo. In fact, it was the first tattoo. says, One Song Glory. Ooh. The other tattoo next to it is No Day But Today. Right now. Needless to say, the musical Rent means a great deal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know that Rent, specifically the character of Angel, mm-hmm. means a great deal to you. What was it like to finally get an opportunity to bring Angel to life on the stage? It was a blessing in disguise to bring that character to life. Get the tail that it would go so well. But sure is I am here. That dog is now in doggy hell. After an hour. I feel like that was one of the many opportunities that I had to express who I was and also who other people are through the lenses of a character like Angel. Um, and my idea, and this could be, you know, totally different from someone else's when they created, but my idea of Angel was she was this trans person who didn't have the ability to afford hormones, who didn't have the ability to afford surgeries, but she still lived in her transness and she still lived in her truth um, and didn't care what people thought about her. Now, others may consider her a drag queen. That's totally fine. You know, it's all about the interpretation. But for me, um, in my head and also what was happening with me at that time as well. It just felt like a, a the best parts of me, I got to just spill out on that stage. And the message of it alone made me even more appreciative of being able to just exert all of that energy out into the audience and let them know that you have to live for today and not try to live for tomorrow because tomorrow is never promised to you as cliche as that is, but it's true. And you have to live in the now and never try try your best not to regret anything or the decisions that you make. And if you do try to at least learn from them. Um, And Angel was the best example of that. I mean, she literally was an angel. She was someone who took every day with stride. She lived like it was her last because she knew that there was, you know, something that was looming over her, which was HIV and AIDS that could possibly take her life. But also she just, she lived and she was happy and being able to portray that and also let people see how resilient the community is. It just, child, it makes me smile now even talking about (laughs) it. I just, you know, my mother was telling me when I was younger, she was like, you need to stop playing Angel so much. I said, girl, I can't stop. I mean, she has a message, girl. Did she have a message or did you have a message and Angel was the vessel? Oh, all right. Well, you better come on here. I, okay. Well, then <laughs> I'm going to say yes, yes, and yes. Um, I think Angel definitely was the vessel and I had a message to speak through her. Or maybe I was the vessel and Angel had to speak through me and we both had something mm. to say. Yeah. I, I just wanted the world to see what people like us do in times of 
pain, strife, and struggle, we choose to live. You know, before um, I became a full-time journalist, I was an actor. Oh, word. I'd been in some movies, I had scholarships, I'd done tons of theater, and I found myself playing gay characters, um, you know, with some regularity, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. including this um, one drag queen by the name of Miss Raj mm -hmm. that was from the play The Color Museum. Oh, yes. Um, are you familiar with it? Oh, yes. Love some Miss Raj. I learned so mm -hmm. much about me in that process, right? I learned my comfort. Mm -hmm. I learned where I needed to do work. Um, and I was still closeted playing these characters, or at least I thought it was closeted, girl. I'm sure I was only thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everyone else knew. <laughs> But I thought I was in the closet. Um, in playing Blanca, in playing Angel, in playing these iconic mm -hmm. trans roles, um, what have you learned about yourself in terms of things you still need to work on even as you walk proud and out? The things I feel like I've learned and that I need to work on from these characters is, um, my sense of self. I mean, I feel like I do have a good piece of that, but I'm always working on it because we're always ever changing. We grow older and our minds always develop. So I'm always working on a sense of self and knowing who I am and also trying to be a better example for myself so that I can be it for other people. And more than anything, I feel like what I've learned from these two and what they've done in all the shows that they've been in part of or people who they've played is that they've had an impression and had a, have had an impact of change and more importantly, leadership, um, especially Blanca. She, child, she showed me what a leader looks like. She showed me what it is to fight, to be the best example of a leader too. And that is not only gaining something for yourself, fighting for what you know is right, but also having the fruits of her labor to show for it, to have a, uh, her own lineage that she created, her own legacy that she created to just trickle down and keep keep growing and growing. Um, I'm, I'm striving to, to be like her and I hope I can get there pretty soon. One of the things that I love about Blanca this season is that she's got a man. Mm. And not only does she have a man, but she has a supportive man and she's in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. I can't recall seeing um, a trans character have a healthy, loving, supportive relationship. Can you? I feel like that was extremely important. I remember talking to Janet Mock earlier on and also we, we saw the fans also wanting it, but I remember speaking to Janet Mock too and I was like, the, the people want that girl. They they have to see the, you know, they want to see the realness of it. They want to see, you know, what's achievable and that we do have these things. It's just that people don't shed a light on it. And if the screen, if the film and television screen sheds a light on it, then it'll change it. It 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 happened. And um, it happened actually in second season where they got to get a glimpse of what it's like to see a person interested in a woman like myself or a person interested mm -hmm. in a woman like Belanca and the moment on the beach. It's the moment on the beach. Yep. You don't have to pretend with me. So you've been with a girl like me before? No, it's not like that. 
You're a beautiful, funny, soulful woman. That's all that matters to me. And to see that there is interest shown and that there are men who take the initiative to show the interest. And now in third season, um, it's gone even deeper. Um, I think it's important to see how we can be loved on and how we can be protected and how there are men out there who will protect us and who will fend for us and love us the way we need to be loved. Besides Pose, one of the reasons why I fell in love with you is that you're also a comic book fan. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge comic book guy. Mm -hmm. Now, so the first question I have for you, and I think I know the answer based upon your name. Yeah. Um, but DC versus Marvel. Oh, my God. No, don't do this to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to pick Marvel all day. No shade to DC because I love DC too. But Marvel is the universe. Like, they they really made a stamp in history with a lot of the characters that they came up with. So I'm going to say Marvel. And even though your name is sort of based off of Spider-Man's girlfriend, MJ, um, mm -hmm. the character that you want to play on film is actually Elektra, who is sort of Daredevil's girlfriend, correct? Yes. Yes. Why? You know, why you want Daredevil as opposed to Spider-Man? <laughs> well, you know, Elektra's a badass. I don't want to be completely hanging from a web and, you know, just being the damsel, damsel in distress. I mean, <laughs> I love that imagery. I think it's hot and sexy and cute, but I also think that it's only right for a girl like myself to be in a position to show that she's kick-ass and um, that she has a really deep and dark backstory to her that a lot of people probably don't know about. You know, I mean, Jennifer Garner, if I'm correct, she played Elektra. She did in the original with Ben Affleck playing Daredevil. Yes. And um, I thought that was a great depiction, but it happened so long ago. I think there needs to be another like reiteration of it. And I always saw her as a Latina woman. I don't know if I'm wrong or if I'm right. I just always saw her as a Latina woman. And um, yeah, I would love to dive down that. And also, I feel like I look like her and I have the ability to play her. As amazing as the comic books have been in terms mm -hmm. of exploring all sorts of issues, whether it's about race or sexual orientation, et cetera, um, we haven't seen, at least in the films anyway, that same level of you know, social commentary exploration, if you will. Mm -hmm. Do you feel as if Marvel is ready to have a trans leading actress? I mean... Do you feel Hollywood is ready? You know, I'm actually kind of, I, I'm in the, I don't know. I feel, and I guess with I don't know means, no, I don't, I don't think they are just yet. I mean, it would have probably happened already. It probably would have been a scene and maybe they're probably waiting for a girl like me to come in there and show them that I can do it. Um, who knows? You are set to join who I think is one of the funniest people on the planet. Maya Rudolph. Oh, yeah. In a new sitcom. Oh, yeah. Um, what is the show about and who is your character? Maya Rudolph is playing this character named Molly, who is recently divorced from her husband. And she's trying to find new places and new spaces to live her life because this is a new piece of her life. She's now going to be a free agent. And um, she comes to this place that she owns part of due to her husband. And she meets this amazing character named Sophia. 
Um, it's kind of like a little bit of a standoff because Sophia is like the boss of this place, but she also still has to answer to Molly. Like Molly is the head of it. So like there's this amazing dichotomy and it's kind of hilarious because Molly is a bit aloof a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It doesn't sound as if it's as heavy as Pose was, is it? Oh, no. No, it's not at all. Um, it is a fun show. Um, the character Molly, I fell completely in love with, and I love that Maya Rudolph is playing her because I don't think anyone else can play her the way Maya, Maya would. Um, you two have to, at some point, sing together in this show, right? Like, <laughs> you have an amazing voice. She obviously has an amazing voice. Like, there's got to be some singing, like drunken karaoke or something, right? Yes, please. Oh, my God. Like, see, that is the kind of scene. you. I'm, I pray and hope that scene is written in there where it's like a drunken karaoke moment because <laughs> that, would be, that would be iconic. That would be iconic. Because you have such an amazing voice, I got to ask you, like, you do Broadway. Are you thinking about also being a recording artist? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like you're psychic and you're reading my mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually working on my music right now as we speak. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. What kind, okay, what kind of music? What we doing? Is this something for the children? Is this something for the grown folks? Like, what's going on? It's you know, it's for the grown folks and it's for the children. I'm trying to do a little bit of R and B and trying to well, not even a little bit, a lot of R and B and a little bit of pop, mixing them together, and you know, trying to get music back to what it could possibly be. You know. <laughs> Ooh, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Um, some soul. I don't think we've seen a lot of soul in a minute. You know, I'm not saying that anything that's coming out is not bomb because I love everything that comes out. But you know, certain genres have had a damp put dampness put on them, and um, it's time to let them grow again. It's time to let them flourish and you know, get people up, get people happy, get people moving. You know, I don't think that's happened in a while. You know, that is so awesome to hear you to say that because, you know, what I tend to do now, you know, later in my life is go back and listen to those artists that we later found out was gay and closeted, mm. um, like Luther Vandross, like mm -hmm. George Michael. Mm -hmm. And I go back and I listen to the lyrics and I try to find clues, you know, whether or not all of a sudden the pronouns stop being mentioned or there were always talk of, of love that you can never have. And Luther Vandross has a lot of those songs. But I also love watching what's happening now with the children, with Sam Smith. And Little Nas X is just giving me everything right now. As he should. What? As he should. As, as he should. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, get all them abs oiled up now, baby, because they won't be there forever. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Well, I think with him, he might have them for a long time. You know black don't crack, so you know, I think he's going to have that for a minute. Listen, listen, I'm black too, and I ain't been cracking, but the abs ain't come with me. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I left a couple of packs back in New York, as a matter of fact, in Jersey, in Jersey you know City. <laughs> I'm down to a two-pack and maybe like a, a keg. <laughs> Not a two-pack and a keg. Oh my Lord, I'm so done with you. I cannot. But it's wonderful to see, you know, that level of openness. What kind of openness can we expect from MJ in her music, lyrically, visually? You know, are you looking to push the envelope or are you kind of looking to kind of nestle into what's already there and available? Um, you know, and I'll say this too. I'm I'm trying to see if I can rebrand and, you know, Michaela J's research like surfaces, but I think the artist Ooh. Michaela J. 
is someone who definitely does push push the narrative a little bit. Um, she already stepped outside of the box because of who she is. And she's going against the grain when it comes to who and how the artist is supposed to be. And, you know, I, I think she lives outside the box. Um, so yeah, I, I think she will be pushing, pushing, the, um, pushing the narrative, pushing the needle a little bit. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for people to hear me and her and just everything that I have to give and finally get to see the person outside of MJ. MJ is my nickname, you know, they never got a chance to, you know, get to know who Michaela J is with the asterisk at the end of the E. <laughs> um, I was like, you said that from your heart. You were like Michaela J. And I was like, yeah. oh, shoot, I need to stop calling her MJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're definitely looking forward to hearing your music, Miss M- Michaela J. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stepping into the MJ trap anymore. I'm calling oh. you Michaela J. <laughs> Michaela J. Okay. Okay. I got you. I got you. Um, 10 years from now, Michaela, Michaela yeah. J. Mm-hmm. What does living life out loud look like for the LGBTQ community? You said 10 years from now, right? 10 years from now. You've already picked up your fifth Grammy. Oh, child. You better speak that thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to know you were robbed a couple of times. I'm just speaking that part too, because that always happens. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, keep Taylor going. Swift gonna come in and take one of your awards. Oh, You'll be all right. Lord. Yeah, I say oh. Is. <laughs> <laughs> um I will say <laughs> you got me with that one. Oh snap. Um I will say ten years down the line. I think the LGBT community, as far as what living living out loud encompasses, I think it will finally be able to walk down the streets and not hear any derogatory slurs thrown on them. It will finally being able be able to be in a place where the title of someone being gay or lesbian, trans, gender nonconforming, you know, asexual, any of those titles won't hold a, a, a barrier on you. Like it won't have any kind of secret barrier or public barrier, you just will be able to be. Um, and you won't have to worry about what will hold you back because, you know, we won't have anything at that time to hold us back 10 years down the line. And I think that's actually coming quicker than we expect. And that's because we're fighting for it. And people who are allies to us are fighting for it too, because let's be real, all of us just want to be in a world where we can actually just try to be, you know, cohesive and you know, cordial and just make life a better place collectively. You know, I, that's what I hope for the LGBT community in the 10 years. Michaela J, MJ, Blanca, thank you. Thank you all <laughs> for teaching, for loving, for being fearless and being fierce. And we are so looking forward to not only seeing your upcoming show, Loot, with the great Maya Rudolph, mm-hmm. but also, you know, listen to some songs and see what kind of singles you drop in. Hey, I'm down for that. I'm ready. I'm ready for y'all to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Anytime. As MJ, excuse me, as Michaela J is on the verge of breaking into the music scene on the next episode of Life Out Loud, we speak with one of the true pioneers in music, Rufus Wainwright. And he's not shy about claiming his rightful place in our history as one of the first out artists on a major label. He also has some choice words for those who think otherwise. I have had to sort of go in and school a little bit in that 
department on what, what, what actually occurred. Trust me, you don't want to miss this. Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson is a production of ABC Audio, produced by Trevor Hastings. Thanks to senior producers Tony Morrison and Robert Cepeda. What's up, boys? Associate producers are David Toledo and Madeline Wood. The executive producers of Life Out Loud are Eric Johnson and Liz Alessi. Special thanks to Mark Anthony Harris Gardner, John Howarth, Kieran McGurl, Elena Genovese Picard, Joel Lyons, Jonathan Fagg, Joyita Bizras, and the Pride ABC and OWN Television Station's Employee Resource Group. And a big shout out to Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ariel Chester, Ali Yang, Hal Arenal Thiel, Brian Choi, and Stacia Dushisku. I'm LZ Granison. Girl, wasn't that good? <laughs>